Funding for the Hinckley Report is made possible in part by the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation and the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report as a podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe at your go-to podcast platform. Good evening and welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Frank Pignanelli, political commentator and lobbyist with Foxley and Pignanelli, Robert Gerke, news columnist with the Salt Lake Tribune, and Heidi Hatch, anchor with KUTV. Thank you all for being with us today. I'm so glad we get to talk about some of the top issues in the state of Utah and in the country. But I want to start with COVID uh, just because we need to talk about the developments. Heidi, uh, let's talk about Utah in particular. Our numbers are just still staying very high. Yesterday, just under 4,000 new cases. And the studies are showing that maybe Utahns are not exactly doing our part to slow the, uh, the trend. It's true, we're looking at the Thanksgiving break and it looks like maybe Utahns met with their families more than other states. Although when I was looking on social media, it does look like a lot of people really did stick to the governor's um, big ask that we stay home with just the people we live with. But Utahns are struggling with what the right thing to do is. I think we're getting that fatigue. It's been nine months now, people are getting exhausted by it. And we're heading into the winter months where I think we all probably have to try a little harder. But the problem is, a lot of us are over it. And so yeah. I think keeping that focus and trying to keep our families, our loved ones and our coworkers safe is really going to be important over these next couple months as we head into the winter because that's when we all get sick with the flu or the cold or anything because we're inside and we're together. You know, Governor-elect Cox tweeted a, a, a graph of what we've seen after past holidays, after Memorial Day, after Halloween, and, and every time we see this spike. And so it's not a surprise that we're gonna see a spike. Um, there was, you know, we thought maybe we were plateaued around things around the holiday itself but it seems like we're taking off right you know right at the wrong time um, and as Heidi mentioned with people moving indoors uh, you know these spikes are going to turn really bad and hospitals already over capacity um, it's going to be a really ugly December I think the governor and CDC have both said through December into January are going to be the worst periods for this pandemic and and people really have to be careful and these studies that you've cited that said that you know Utahns were traveling around the Google analytic data the app analytic data all point to the same direction that people didn't really stay home I mean and 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 it's hard as Heidi said everybody's tired yeah. everybody wants to get out and do something different see their family uh, tired of the disruption and and it's uh, but there's a real danger out there yeah uh, Frank this fatigue seems real uh, but uh, Utahns as we mentioned we're still traveling we're still seeing some of those family members but I want to get into what this means for us because what everyone's talking about right now is the vaccine all right that's coming uh, but there's some politics involved in this Frank right talk to us a little bit about how these decisions are made all right we're all in this together who's making this decision who gets the shot well, you know, it's interesting. You think about this, there has not been uh, an attempt by government to ration anything since probably World War II. So everyone's new with this. And we had a prelude, I think, to what we're going to see happening is when they were trying to define essential workers and handing out the PPP loans. I can tell you this, that uh, strippers and lobbyists were not allowed to get PPP loans. <laughs> Everyone else was, but I can't. And, and your local neighborhood stripper couldn't. So I think what, so what that tells me is that I'm last in line for a vaccine, but that's okay. So the politics is gonna be very interesting. And the reason why is because right now everyone agrees that the healthcare workers should get the vaccine and that's right now in december when it comes march and there's hundreds of thousands thousands more vaccines available 
you're going to see the competition for that. So the politics of, wait a minute, these workers should have it, my workers should have it, that you have that politics. Then you also have the politics of some people saying, I don't want a vaccine, I don't trust it. So all of a sudden, you're going to have, there's going to be a scarlet letter on people's heads of those who didn't take the vaccine but had it available to them. So you have different types of politics happening. 2020 may have been the year of presidential politics. 2021 is going to be the year of vaccine politics. Boy, this sure seems true. Go ahead, Robert. I think it's horribly unfair that strippers don't get the vaccine. Um, <laughs> Frank, can, Frank can fend for himself. Um, but I think I think he raises a very good point, though, because, because you know, how do you pit people in retirement homes against school teachers who are, you know, interacting with kids on a daily basis? We definitely want to keep school kids, you know, schools open and we need to keep the teachers there to do that but at the same time most of the deaths have happened among the elderly and and a lot of them in retirement homes so it's going to be these competing interests just clashing once as as frank notes once we get the that second batch of doses um and and i think the you know the issue of whether people you know anti-vaxxers don't want the yeah. vaccine um there was an interesting question raised during the governor's news conference yesterday about businesses requiring it mm -hmm. uh, the governor's kind of shying away from you know re requiring it from the state, you know, but uh, the businesses, if your employer requires it and, and you don't want one, but at the same time, I kind of feel like that's a discussion we can have later. I think the yeah. most important thing is to make sure everybody gets the vaccine when they want it. And if they don't want it, we'll move to the next person until we have enough for everybody. And then we can start talking about the those who maybe are resisting. Mm -hmm. I think the most important part of this conversation right now is that as humans, we all are self-preservationists and we think whatever we do is the most important. And it goes back to when the funding was going out, who are these essential workers? And everyone looks at what they do and they believe they're essential and really who isn't essential? We need the lights on, we need police, we need hospital workers. And so really starting, as Robert said, with the most vulnerable is really going to be the most important. The people who are caring for the people with COVID and the elderly population, that's who we're losing here. People between the ages of 65 and 100 in the state of Utah. We also, early on in the, in the pandemic, we saw uh, minority communities disproportionately impacted. And I hope when we roll out the vaccine, that's a high priority to make sure that those communities are treated equitably because we can't see, we, we don't want to repeat the same mistakes that we made back in March. Mm -hmm. But what are you hearing about the, this very point? So you look at these different groups, the way they're impacted, and it does come to the question, well, then who does decide, right? We talk about all these competing interests. Everyone wants to be in the lifeboat, you know, but some of us are gonna have to tread water for a little while longer, right? <laughs> if I saw the, the articles recently, uh, but who makes that decision, Frank? Have you heard about that a little bit? Who is going to have to make this hard call? The, I believe the federal government's going to punt a lot of it to the states. And so the states are going to have to make, as they get the vaccines, going to make the determination. And what I think is so important, what we learned a little bit at the beginning of the pandemic, and what we learned 102 years ago of the, of this, on the 1918 pandemic, is that the state is going to really going to have to say, these are the guidelines and not deviate from them. They're going to take heat from other sectors, but they're going to have to do that so that people understand. These are decisions that we've never made in the state for maybe for instance, forever. So, the, the, but it's going to be up to the legislature, the, the governor, the Department of Health, and all that to do that. And also... And there, and, and a lot of lobbying's gonna happen. And also the counties are gonna be the ones who are on the ground are gonna be responsible yeah. for a lot of where the rubber meets the road implementation of this. Salt Lake County's been talking for months. They've set aside funding. Both the state and the counties have set aside funding for, uh, to deploy this once they once they arrive. And so, you know, the, the wheels are in motion. Mm -hmm. Heidi, I just wanna talk about this politics for just another moment because it's just so interesting to me to see it. You, you see pictures from the governor uh, showing a shot of them ordering the vaccine, for example. So you got yeah. the governor's office doing 
polling, something like that, hugely visible, the governor's office here. You have the legislature actually polling some of its members saying who should get it first. But then, then you have the healthcare professionals, the Utah Department of Health working with them saying, ultimately, they're going to help establish these very protocols. That's right, the governor um, yesterday announced some of these protocols, and I think just the screenshot that you mentioned yeah. of we're ordering the vaccine is a placebo here in the state of Utah. Just mentally knowing that it's there, they're ordering, it's coming, I think that that will help and hopefully restore people's confidence in things as we move forward. I think one of the biggest stumbling blocks isn't going to be just deciding who gets it first, but making sure those people return. It's hard enough getting someone to the doctor's office or to get a shot, but getting them to come back three to four weeks later and get a second shot, that could be an issue. And uh, there's been no major side effects reported, but uh, people have been told to expect a fever and a headache. So if you get a fever and a headache and don't feel well for a couple days, make sure, you know, are you going to get those people back in three weeks to do round two of that? Mm -hmm. So I think that there's a lot of logistics that go into this, a lot of human nature of whether you can get those people back on time. Also, we hear 100,000 doses coming to the state of Utah. Is that 100,000 people or is that 50,000 with two doses each? I think there's a lot of question marks here. Yeah, before we leave this, Robert, no one cover, has covered this issue more than you, I, th I think, in the state of Utah. We're all following your tweets about this as well. I mean. People are worried that this does become a political question about who gets it, yeah. as opposed to some public health answer. Yeah. Uh, do you have a feeling? Can you give us a sense of security? This just isn't about who you know, this is about something well, bigger I, than that. I mean, scarcity also always brings politics to the front, right? So I think there will be some political jockeying, like we talked about with, uh, you know, pitting schools against, against uh, nursing homes. Schools, by the way, kids under 18 haven't, it's not authorized for them yet, but we're talking about teachers. Um, so yeah, there will be some politics involved, but ultimately I think it will, as Frank uh, mentioned, be down to the health department and the governor to decide, you know, to, to prioritize and, and decide who gets it first. But, and the good news is, is, you know, after that first batch drops, the second month is going to be a lot higher and the third month is going to be even higher. So it'll ramp up fairly quickly by J January and uh, January and February. We're going to see a lot more of this coming in than, than we have in that first batch in December. And multiple vaccines. So yeah. we've got one, but there's going to be Lots more that domino quickly after, I think. Yeah, hopefully. One, one more on, on this issue, Frank, is uh, there's still some tension between our legislature and our governor about his ability to invoke these emergency powers that are giving authority to do a lot of these actions that he is, he is doing. Well, welcome to the prelude to the 2021 session. That is going <laughs> to be a hot topic for that. Again, <clears throat> what's been interesting, we've been lucky as a state. We've not had to worry about too much on emergencies. And so, these emergency powers that the governor's been enacting have <clears throat> have invoked passions and uh, discussions that we've not had before. What is interesting, we now have outside groups coming in who have been chastising the governor, saying that he's, he's observed his authority. You have lawmakers that are getting building, building up, saying we need to get a more clear definition because what happens in the next pandemic, what happens if there's a major earthquake, things like that. So you're gonna see that as a hot topic in the next session. And as you know, there was a discussion between the, the legislature and uh, Governor Cox about this. So this will be a major topic because I think there's an understanding that we, we got by with this. What exactly is there going to be in terms of a, 
uh, parameters for the next time there's a pandemic or the next time there's an emergency. So it's a discussion worth having, but also you can hear a lot more about the state and federal constitution than we ever wanted to know before. <laughs> and I think it's That's funny. True. I think it's kind of funny that this falls uh, to Spencer Cox to to have you know hash this out, even though it's Governor Herbert, his predecessor, who is is kind of engendered some of the animus toward, from from the legislature. Um, and and yeah, it's going to be it's going to be an epic tug of war. But I don't think they're going to want to stampede into it too quick, since we're kind of emerging. Hopefully, you know, on the tail end of this pandemic with the vaccine coming in it's not really as frank notes about this one it's not about this mm -hmm. pandemic it's sort of preparing for the next one mm -hmm. speaking of preparing for the next one this has been a big couple of weeks for uh, I guess governor-elect uh, Spencer Cox Heidi he is putting together his transition plan he's trying to put people in place talk about what he's done this week to put high-level people together on his cabinet and other locations well I think what's old is new again in so many ways he's kind of rearranging some people that were in the governor's cabinet but I also think that we're seeing Senator Dan Hemmert, who's going to be getting a large role. And I think people like that who are coming from the legislature are probably going to bridge some of that gap where hopefully they can get uh, the legislature and the governor's office working together. Because I think people are frustrated by that, whether they see it on the federal level with executive orders and Congress and the president not working together or governor and the legislature. So hopefully he can come in and maybe make sure that there's a bridge between the two when they're talking. I think he brings some interesting uh, experience as well. He runs the Red Hangers here in state of Utah yeah. and I can't imagine that business has been great for him I think that he's probably suffered like a lot of, a lot of other small businesses people who are working at home in their sweatpants don't need to get those dry cleaned and so I think that uh, his role as a business owner working the legislature I think really will be a boon for the governor's office so uh, definitely some interesting moves and I think Heidi touched on this but you've got Spencer Cox who's a former house member Senator Henderson uh, is the lieutenant governor mm -hmm. Dan Hemmert a former senator and then you've got Sophia DeCaro who is a former House member. So I th you've got four people there at the top who've all had legislative service. And I think that's something we haven't really seen before that I can recall in any yeah. administration. Yeah, Frank, talk about that, because that is a strategy, right? These are people we know well. Yeah. And it's interesting because uh, there's this separation of powers issue, but now we're getting just kind of the players changing just to the other side. I'm curious about how that dynamic will play out. You know what, it, it is interesting. First of all, this entire outfit was cleaned by Senator Hammert, so I appreciate <laughs> okay. that. Good. So, uh, not that you need to lobby uh, him for anything now, but. <laughs> so, so no, it, it actually, he was, he's been a great voice for small business legislature and will be missed. So a couple dynamics are in play here. Number one is that you have Spencer Cox, who wants to be able to show that he's different from Governor Herbert, that's natural. But at the same time, Governor Herbert appointed some really good people who are serving, and there's some pressure from different organizations and constituencies saying, please keep them in the cabinet, or please keep them running that department or, or division or whatever. So there's that tug of war that's going on. Then you have the tug of war that, as you said about, it's always happened in the governor's office and the legislature, but now you have all these former lawmakers serving. And you have to go back and look at either Oli Walker, or Governor Bangor, especially when you have former lawmakers serving. And they do have an advantage because they understand the legislative mindset, especially Governor Bangor. He knew how to play the game well. I served when he was governor. So I would say that, that they will know how it works. 
and it gives them a definite advantage of the mindset of the lawmakers, which I think is going to be very important because you, whether it's the powers issues, whether it's dealing with the budget, things like that, but it's a totally different dynamic that we're going to see than we have for, for decades. Mm -hmm. uh, Robert, it's interesting also we see some of the priorities of the governor-elect Spencer Cox, uh, for example, on rural Utah, an appointment there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, uh, being the first governor in a long time, I mean, you could argue Scott Matheson maybe, who's who's not from Salt Lake or Utah County, is, is I think, unique. I think that informs his, uh, the way he approaches these issues. Um, and so I think that you're gonna see a, a strong focus from the governor's office on rural issues. Uh, he kind of handled Utah rural issues when he was lieutenant governor. I don't think that's going to uh, change all that much. And I think it's gonna inform the way he approaches these uh, these decisions. And I think hey, rural I, Utah is going to play a big role in our recovery here in Utah. Usually we don't think about rural Utah when we're thinking about our tax base, but when you think about the hospitality industry yeah. and all of our parks and the visitors that come there and the small business owners that run by all the visitors that come here, they're suffering and they're going to have a hard time building back up again. And I think it's going to take a focus both in Salt Lake City and in those rural parts, making sure that the hospitality industry not only survives, but eventually thrives, we hope one day again, because that's a lot of money that comes to our state. We depend on it to live. And I think it's got to be a focus as we move forward. That's really good. Go ahead, Frank. Yeah, one of the things we're getting whiffs of, and I'm, and I'm sure that the journalists can also talk to this, is that uh, I've talked to several members of the transition team, and you see now bills popping up. So a couple of things are happening. One is there's going to be an effort maybe to consolidate or reorganize state agencies. Does Medicaid go to workforce services? There's a bill on that. So you're going to see attempts by the Cox administration to really kind of restructure government. Now, there are advantages of having known the legislative process and also been involved in the executive branch that has some insight to that. So you can have those discussions. And those are big agencies they're going to be they're talking about moving. The second thing is the, is the Hammer appointment. Uh, Senator Hammer was really involved on reorganizing pieces of GOED, especially then also U-Star and things like that. This is a definite signal from the Cox administration. They're taking a dramatic approach towards economic development, then also with the hire for the rural economic development. So you're gonna see some major restructuring in state government, and we're picking up indications from that. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out, because a lot of this is gonna require legislative approval. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think the last time, sort of major overhaul of government, or the major top-down deconstruction of government that I remember is during Governor Huntsman when he first came into office and, you know, consolidated these offices into GoEd. Jason knows a lot about that, I'm sure. And and I think there's, you know, and I, I think it's healthy. I, I Governor Herbert sort of left that largely in place. And so I think it's probably uh, overdue, frankly, to mm -hmm. sort of take this, uh, reassess the, where, the, where the pieces fit. Mm -hmm. Just uh, really quickly, is this the way uh, that Spencer Cox d differentiates himself by doing, you know, it's this economic development approach, but the consolidation, the efficiencies he's trying to find, and bringing these legislative leaders to to really run this economic effort. If he can do it right, and that's the big if, is if he can make it work. A lot of people run and say they want to restructure and save people tax money and make sure that you're focusing the right ways, but it's always easier said than done to do that because people are used to the way things work yeah. and used to the way they go about things, and so it definitely is a good idea. I think a lot of people say it should happen, but will it happen, and will it happen how he wants is the big question. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, you brought up the topic here a minute about the, the money. Uh, when you start talking about rural uh, Utah, you talk about economic development efforts. Uh, Robert, this is the big topic people are discussing now as we get ready to go into the legislative session, right? Are we going to have any money? And it turns out it looks like at least no tax cut, tax increases are on the table. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're doing a little better than I think was projected initially, and so that's, that's the good news. The bad news is there's a lot of people wanting to spend very little money, and that's always the case, I guess. But um, but yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a hard budget for for the governor and for the legislature this time uh, for sure. And 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 you've got all of these things that are good programs that ended up getting funded before the pandemic, yeah. cut during the pandemic, and they're going to be wanting some of that back. It's gonna it's going to be a real uh, a real push and pull, I think. Uh, maybe more so than we see even when when we do have deficits. You know. Yeah. Okay, oh, curious, uh, Frank. Uh, so you've been involved with the legislature for so long. The way the way it usually works is you take whatever money is available, you put it on the table, and then you spend it 50 times, right? That's that's the uh, idea <laughs> for, for, from the asks that, that come. Uh, what are you hearing, though, from these legislators in terms of their priorities with limited funding? Doesn't look like a decrease necessarily, but sometimes these are the hardest questions is when there's just not very much money. It is, and when I served, we had to do a lot of cutting, and, uh, and, and as a lobbyist, I had to go through this. What I see happening is, and, and Robert alluded to this, is that with the 2020 budget, well, actually, the 2020 budget passed in the last legislative session, they had extra money, and so there were all these programs that received extra money, and then when the pandemic hit in the special session, they pulled out about anything that had been allocated above uh, in the 2020 session. So I, their first step was we're hearing from lawmakers, okay, we'll look at what we did in 2021st before we fund anything new, and we're not going to completely fund all that. So they at least are setting up guideposts for uh, you know agencies and other constituent groups seeking more money. The second thing is to say we need to be cautious because we could go into another recession uh, next year, and so therefore I think you can see the legislature being very conservative in terms of what they spend above especially the current budget and a little bit extra of what happened in 2020 because they're nervous about what could happen next year in terms of repercussions from the pandemic, especially if there is a downturn in the stock market. Uh -huh. So so interesting, Robert, because this is where they were starting is so much was allocated last legislative session. All of it got put on hold, at least the increases, right? All got brought back. And so all the people last year say, our priorities last year are the priorities this year, but our, we got a whole new crop of legislators. We got people changing seats. Yeah, and I, I think some of these programs, I mean, housing programs, you know, mental health issue, uh, programs, things like that that were funded last year, they had to pull that money back. A lot of the money that was put into to education last year got pulled back. They're all going to be lining up and wanting, you know, at least some of that money again. I think Frank makes an excellent point. This We don't know what the next year is going to look like. Um, we've bounced back better than I think a lot of people thought. I think our, our unemployment rate's one of the best in the country right now, 4.1%, yeah. I think. Um, and, and so, you know, if that continues, we may be pretty good in the coming year, but we just don't know. And so I think Frank nailed it, they're, they're going to be cautious. I think uh, they need to be cautious because I think delayed pain is sometimes what happens. We're going in here thinking, okay, you know, Utah is faring better than the rest of the country. But if you work on Main Street in downtown Salt Lake City or Main Street America anywhere in Utah, those businesses are largely closed right now. There's not uh, business people going out to lunch. The bars are struggling because they make their business from 10 to 1 a.m. and they're not allowed to be open. So they're hanging on by their fingernails right now. But what happens to those people a year or two from now where they 
fold. They're no longer open. They can't pay their mortgage. And so maybe a lot of the pain is going to come a year, two years, three yeah, years down the yeah. road. That's not instant. And who the heck knows what Congress is going to do? Is there going to be another round of, of aid for these businesses? Because right now, they're, as, as Heidi points out, they're barely hanging on and they need Congress to act. And Congress typically cannot act. They're just, they've, they've really not been able to pull this together. And, you know, the, we've seen these moderates, you know, the Mitt Romneys of the, of the Senate trying to push for something, a compromise package. Whether they can get that through or not, I think is going to be a, a lot of, a lot of these Main Street right. businesses that yeah. Heidi references are, are, it's life and death for them. Yeah, Frank, these are such great points. I, if you say, you look at where our economy is right now, and it was greatly enhanced by the $12 billion that we got from the federal government, <laughs> right? And we don't know if that's coming back, any part of that. No, my teenager will tell you that uh, they live a pretty good lifestyle off my credit card. And that's what we did. <laughs> we had Uncle Sam's credit card last uh, several months. And we don't know. I actually think something does pass. You know, it's interesting. I do think, you know, there's several reasons why Ben McAdams lost. But I think one of them was a frustration that people have with Congress. And, and that, that and you're now seeing that across the country, saying you need to do something. And so Nancy Pelosi and apparently uh, Mitch McConnell have been talking. So I think you'll see something. But it may not be as you know, some may go to the states, won't be as big. But see, well, that will be another boost. It'll probably happen next year. But then again, let's go back. The lawmakers will say, great, but come towards third quarter of 2021 or fourth quarter of 2021, it's going to be a possible downturn again. So the, the, they're, they're plugging all that into it also in, into the local. Plus, you're going to have all the state, local, excuse me, the local government saying the sales taxes may go up, but they may be going down again. So there's going to be a lot of crystal balling this next legislative session, not just in terms of local revenues, but how, what's going to be the impact of the federal revenues and also the federal, excuse me, the national economy. Mm -hmm. Robert, uh, just in the, in the last few seconds we have here, too, there's still a couple hundred million dollars of money in the state of Utah that needs to be spent by the end of December. Yeah, and the money's been allocated, most of it. Um, but we did, we, you know, I wrote last week that I think we should be putting more to these bars and restaurants because um, they, they've really suffered and they've t they're taking the brunt of the economic hit for all of our, all of our good. I mean, we, you know, we want them to play ball and, and try to control the spread of the virus, but they're taking the brunt of the hit and there should be some money there for them. I mean, we saw the Salt Lake Chamber weigh in on that yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, I think there is a, a little bit of a push to try to get them some additional aid. And I think it's I think it's needed because it's not just these businesses, it's the people that work in these businesses mm -hmm. who have seen their, their tips uh, slashed by 50% because they can't get as many people in there. Uh, they can't turn people over and people just aren't going out and they're not going to uh, return to the bars and restaurants until we get the virus under control. Mm -hmm. The problem, I think, is can they spend it wisely, though? It's a lot of money burning a hole in your pocket. You have a deadline to spend it, and sometimes you're not always smart about it. Everybody gets money. Yeah, yeah. yeah and with a limited time period for that as well. Yeah. Uh, so helpful. The, the, the insight today was just so helpful for us as we watch what happens. It's be a very interesting legislative session. The table's being set even now. Yeah. So thank you for your great insights uh, on the program tonight. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode of The Hinkley Report. If you like listening to the experts talking about the issues, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. 